Welcome back to Last Call Baseball, episode number 126. I'm your host, Dorian, and I'm also reminding you that Hipster Baseball Podcast is now Last Call Baseball. And over the last few weeks, something else has changed as well. Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez are a little bit lighter in the pocket after they they got fined for their Friday night. Is it would be Friday night or Saturday night? I think it's Saturday night heavyweight bout, like in the old days in boxing, back when Mike Tyson was roaming the jungle before MMA came around and all that. I know that you've heard this by now because just a few weeks ago, back on August the 5th, the clubs were in Cleveland playing the Guardians. The Guardians all-star third baseman, the MVP, they're basically the only, the best player on their team, one of the best players in the American League. Jose Ramirez slid into second base. The Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson just standing over him, just not getting out of the way. Words were said. Fight happened. Ramirez ended up just blindly throwing a right hook that that connected directly to Anderson's chin. Anderson fell backwards. The benches were cleared. Both the managers, Terry Francona and Pedro Griffol, ejected. Multiple ejections for both teams. You see the highlights and you're like, why the heck did this happen? After the game, Jose Ramirez said, quote, I think he's been disrespecting the game for a while. I was telling him to stop doing that. After he tapped me really hard, more than needed, he said he wanted to fight, and I had to defend myself, end quote. And I think about Tim Anderson, like one of the young faces of the game, but in reality, he's 30 years old now. But he's still an exciting young, an exciting player. He's African-American, which frankly, there is a dearth of African-American baseball players in Major League Baseball. And all of a sudden, I feel like the tide has turned against Tim Anderson because here, here Ramirez is coming out with this quote. So who knows what other issues Jose Ramirez has had with Tim Anderson. And what really raised my eyebrows was when Austin Hedges, who is a former catcher with the Cleveland Guardians, but now he's with the Texas Rangers, he was on another podcast and he said, quote, whenever we played the White Sox, it was just something that was bound to happen. Anderson said certain things that I'm not going to repeat passing by me. It's just what he does. He has something to say all the time and for no reason, end quote. I'm not a baseball player. I don't get paid hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to play the game, unfortunately. But I'm like, what is there? What is going on here with Tim Anderson, the Chicago White Sox? Eventually, Anderson apologized. He said he said he apologized to his team. He put out an Instagram apology for the rest of the world to see. I feel like this is a further unraveling of the Chicago White Sox. This year, they're in fourth place in the American League Central, the worst division in Major League Baseball. The White Sox are 15 and a half games behind the Minnesota Twins. They had a disappointing year last year in 22 after they made the playoffs in 2020 and 2021. And let's not forget that in 2022, just last year, Anderson had more goodwill. Remember that dust-up he had with Josh Donaldson, the New York Yankees third baseman, when Josh Donaldson called Jack, uh, Jackie, called Tim Robinson Jackie after Jackie Robinson because Tim Anderson, in a different interview, said, I consider myself like the modern-day Jackie Robinson. Who knows the, the actual relationship or non-relationship between Josh Donaldson and last year, Tim Anderson was upset with Josh Donaldson. Everyone piled onto Josh Donaldson. You're a jerk that you suck this, that, and the other. Everyone loves Tim Anderson. And in 2021, when the White Sox last made the playoffs, you remember that walk-off home run he hit into the cornfields against the New York Yankees. That's right. In, in I think it was in August of 2021. 
everyone was like, it's so amazing. It's classic. It's There's nothing better for the game than to have one of the young superstars, Tim Anderson, hit a home run in this high-profile game. And the White Sox went to the playoffs that year in 2021. This year, not only are they in fourth place as a team, but Tim Anderson's supposed to be the face of that franchise yesterday, today, and for many years in the future. His OPS Plus is 58 in 2023. Reminder, an average player's OPS Plus, the average, is 100. When I saw this on Baseball Reference, my jaw dropped. How in the world does Tim Anderson have a 58 OPS Plus, which is basically a really bad player? And that Field of Dreams home run that I told you that when they when he helped beat the New York Yankees in 2021, that feels like the last time he hit a home run. This year, he's played, I think, in 92, 93 games. He's hit one home run. One. Last year in 2022, he was injured for basically the ha- half the year. I think he played like 79 games. He hit six home runs. He's already played more games this year, and he's only hit one home run. The White Sox obviously sold off a bunch of players during the trade trade deadline. That's why Lucas Giolito was traded to the Angels. Joe Kelly was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Everyone's uncle that nobody likes, Tony La Russa, was quietly kicked up to the front office because he wasn't doing a good job with the, the team. But when you see all these issues and the Tim Anderson, and I think I read somewhere else that allegedly someone there was a rumor going around that the Chicago White Sox had no leaders and I was like Tim Anderson's supposed to be the leader what are you talking about and then the Chicago White Sox center fielder Luis Robert came out because apparently Luis Robert's actually been playing pretty well over the past few weeks and he came out and said something and I'm paraphrasing I don't consider myself a leader I just try to play really well I was like Luis Robert you're 22 years old You are immensely talented. English is obviously your second language. You probably said this in Spanish through an interpreter. But when one of your leading lights of stars, like Luis Robert, says, I just want to play well, and I don't want to be a leader. There is maybe Tony, maybe our our most unfavored uncle, Tony La Russa, was on to something. He's like, nobody can take, nobody can do anything with this team. I'll happily leave the management to somebody else and just go get kicked upstairs. The Chicago White Sox are in a multi-year mess, and I've said it, I've said it many, many times. The rot always starts at the top. It always starts with uh, the ownership, Jerry Reinsdorf. But that's I think I've mentioned the Chicago White Sox enough time. Enough with Tim Anderson getting knocked out. Enough with Jose Ramirez getting so upset that he wanted to knuckle up. Like they, you, they literally were there, like old timey <laughs> boxers. Bah. Down goes Anderson. It. I'm not laughing at the violence. I'm just laughing at just like the, everything that had to happen to lead up to that one specific incident that lasted five seconds. I mean, it lasted five seconds. The Chicago White Sox don't look good coming out of this. Tim Anderson doesn't look good coming out of this. Jose Ramirez, in reality, besides the, I think he got his suspended, his suspension was, was reduced to one or two games. Nobody's talking about him. I'm not. I'm not saying this in a bad way, but like no one's be like no one said Jose Ramirez. You shouldn't have done that. Everyone's kind of like Tim Anderson. What the heck is wrong with you? So Jose Ramirez is coming off scot free. You know he missed one or two paychecks. He's gonna be okay. Even though the White Sox are gonna be playing terrible this year, they're gonna be playing terrible next year. Who knows? They still live in Chicago. It 
It's a wonderful city, great food, and our next guest knows all about the great city of Chicago. This week, our special guest is Rabbi Jack Moline, who's the president emeritus of the Interfaith Alliance. Rabbi Moline, welcome to Last Call Baseball. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Why is baseball God's favorite sport? Well, look, the old joke is because the Bible begins in the big inning. But uh, the real reason is, is because baseball, unlike any other sport, best mirrors uh, the plan that God has for humanity. You start at home and you look at an ever widening field that goes on forever. It's, it's, it's like George Carlin explained it a long time ago, right? And the goal of all of this is to put the ball in play, to live your life, and in the end, find your way back home. What more can you ask for in a sport than to mirror God's plan for the universe? I like that. And I do remember the the joke, as you had mentioned, uh, Carlin said something, the differences between baseball and football, where football, I think, is a lot more violent with the field marshal, yeah, the quarterback. Yeah. And it, yeah. that's, that's a good reference. And in baseball, you want to go home. That's true. <laughs> you said the Torah, the Bible, it all starts at the beginning. What is your beginning? What's your really, how did your relationship with baseball start? Oh, I was a Cub. I've been a Cubs fan for uh, probably 80 years. I'm only 71. So uh, it is something that came to me uh, as, a, as an inheritance from my father. Um, I remember vividly going to my first games at Wrigley Field. Um, it was actually a doubleheader. We sat in the upper deck and Ron Santo hit a home run in each of the two games and became my favorite player for the rest of my life. And uh, my, my fandom for the Cubs was only strengthened by the fact that my brother, for reasons we can't explain, became a White Sox fan. Um, uh, we think my mother wore a radium watch when she was pregnant with him, and I, I think it altered his genetics. But uh, I, you know, I learned a lot about life from being a Cubs fan, and uh, particularly in those early years of my life when, when the Cubs struggled to be uh, just at 500 at any given season. Um, and I sympathized with Steve Goodman and his, and his song about the Cubs being the doormats of the National League. But uh, it's, it's always been a part of who I am. I just have always loved baseball more than, more than any other sport and always loved the Cubs more than any other team. I agree with you that obviously the Cubs, for the most part, have always struggled and they've been the lovable Cubs, the, the lovable loser Cubs, I think. I don't remember. But just like the Atlanta Braves back some decades ago, the Chicago Cubs were also could be seen across the country, unless like you were in that weird area of like right. Iowa, Illinois, whatever, on WGN coming home from school. There's always a Cubs game on because they, they, they always play played, in the daytime. Yeah, they never played at night until I think sometime in the 90s. But for me, not only would you come home and it would be like towards the latter half of the game they would always lose. And so I'm like, I don't, and I didn't like their uniforms either. That's, I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't become the Cubs fan because I became a Braves fan because they were on every single night and they were winning and they had, uh, you know, great, great pitching, which I'm a big fan of. But you have, as I think in, on your website, you said you're a redeemed Cubs fan. You have had your moment in the glory. You yeah. have reached the promised land just what uh eight years ago now not, really, yeah really not so now? long ago wow but it, all, it almost seems far but now i it feels as if they they're, they're receding what have you been following the team this year what are your sure. what are your thoughts on on what's going on with the cubs in 2023 
Look, the Cubs are doing much better than we expected them to do this year, and particularly recently. I mean, we're, we're recording this in the middle of August, and uh, as of this morning, they were one percentage point ahead of Cincinnati for second place in the toughest division in Major League Baseball. So uh, given the, the abysmal start they had this year, um, it really is, is uh, not to sound too religious, but nothing short of a miracle that they're as, they're as close to Milwaukee as they are. But I, I, I like these, these kids. I mean, they're, they're great. You know, my heroes were always much older than me when I was a little boy. Uh, and now, you know, my son, my youngest child is older than anybody on the Cubs. Um, I relate most to, uh, to the manager, to David Ross. I mean, he's, he could, he's as old as my son and they call him grandpa. But I, I think the Cubs are doing great this year. I, Bellinger is great. Talkman is great. Uh, and uh, as always, they have no pitching, but it's all right. When you, when you can score 20 runs in a game, you can allow your pitcher to give up seven or eight. Recently, what bugs me about the Chicago Cubs, just as a baseball fan, is the Cubs have, without inarguably a top five fan base in all of Major League Baseball, Yep, they make a tremendous amount of money because now the Ricketts, the family that owns the Cubs, have basically turned the outside of Wrigley Field into a entertainment space, let's say. But then, and and I believe last year, two years ago, they received that exemption from the Nationals, the, the park, some, some Department of Agriculture, something yeah. uh, zoning the Wrigley Field as like historic and they get a whole, historic zone, yeah. Correct. They get a whole loads of tax credit. And then you see this team now and also the players that they signed or didn't sign in the offseason. Like, where is that money going to? That's what bugs me. You're not, we're not talking about the Tampa Bay Rays or Arizona Diamondbacks, like smaller, still very wealthy owners, but those, nowhere those near the dollars, as the Cubs. Those, those Cubs dollars are going to the same place that they've always gone, to the owners. When Phil Wrigley was, was the owner of that team, he made money on the Cubs hand over fist, and that was before there was big money in baseball. Uh, but he never spent anything on the team. Which is why, uh, you know, they they never had the farm system that that the Yankees did that allowed the pipeline of great players to just land in New York every season, and uh, you know he 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 tried this absolutely ridiculous thing called the College of Coaches where they didn't have a manager for a while. People just sort of rotated through. They had five or six guys on the team, and you know everybody took a took a, a turn at being the manager for for a week or two every season. Even when he brought in Leo DeRocher, who was going to make things better, you know, uh, Leo was past his prime, but he was no Casey Stengel. So, you know, he he needed a job. He had to pay off his gambling debts. He took the Cubs and uh, he he flashed his suits around town and that was about it. But look, that's nothing new about professional sports in general and the Cubs in particular, where they did spend money, where they did get the good guys was in their contract with WGN. The people who broadcast the Cubs games were always great. In fact, you know, my philosophy of baseball and maybe even my philosophy of life is from Jack Brickhouse, who was the Cubs broadcaster when I was a kid. He would say a lot. The ball game isn't over till the last man is out. And you had to say that a lot with the Cubs because the ball game was generally over in the second inning. But uh, but it's true. There, there's always hope in baseball and and the Cubs, no matter how many times they let you down, the Cubs were the ones who tested that hope. 
And and uh, I don't care how much money the Ricketts get or the Wrigley's got, it's always been worth it to me. At the end of the day, in reality, is the sports, in the professional sports, at least in, in North America and Western Europe and other places of the world, it's an, it's entertainment. It's just like going yeah. to see the latest movie. It's going to see a play, what have you. Rabbi, you are no stranger to entertainment because according to certain research, you were a tour guide at Universal Studios, is it? I, I was in California. What is in the entertainment aspect? What keeps you coming back to baseball as in the in the entertainment? Not so much maybe the hope or the spiritual part of it, but the actual that you are entertained. You know, I, I have friends who who like to golf. It's a sport I just don't understand. And my friends who golf tell me that it's just a good excuse for a long walk on a nice afternoon. And uh, when you're not quite as concerned about the outcome, which when you're a lifelong Cubs fan, that's what you have to have to be. Going to the ballpark or even just sitting in front of the television, although I much prefer to be there in person, is an opportunity to sit in the sunshine or in the in the fresh night air these days, uh, generally with a friend or one of my kids have long conversations about absolutely anything, drink an overpriced beer and uh, and watch some excellent athletes try to do their best on the field. It, it is, it's a tonic in a world in which everything is instant. A baseball game still with all these new rules still takes enough time that you have to sit still for a while and appreciate what you're looking at. And for me, that's good entertainment. You know, I, uh, we're all watching these streaming series on on, uh, on Netflix and Hulu and, and Prime and Max, and they stretch out these stories to six episodes, eight episodes, ten episodes, something they used to be able to do in an hour and a half on a TV movie, right? And that's part of it, too. People want to be able to sit still for a while and and uh, have their, their troubles, if not taken away, at least distracted. And that's what baseball does for me. Continuing on baseball, and obviously you've, you've been, your profession, uh, for lack of a better word, has been a religious leader, a rabbi. Yep. And I've always wondered the, maybe not the appropriateness, but just the space that religion has in athletics, not just, not only in baseball. And I think, and more of a esoteric question is why is, why is religion so important for some people that, when we're on a stage, an entertainment stage, let's say like baseball, we have to show our, our faith. Uh, you, you can e you, you can immediately imagine a player hitting a home run, maybe from like the Dominican Republic and crossing himself. You can think of maybe a soccer player from like Egypt scores a goal. They, you know, they go down and, and they pray to Allah or for example, team Israel before the world baseball classic wearing their yarmulkes during the singing of the national anthem. Yeah, and then they, but, Hit a home run, they have to call their mother. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I think there's other things that are all that are part of us. Like, but at the same time, no one's no athlete is out there yelling like, "I have terrible hay fever" or just some something like that. But we, it is almost as if we have to share our our religious beliefs. Um, we don't have to. What is that space that you think? Just as someone who's been in the business of God a lot longer than all of yeah. us have. You know, it's um, it, it's certainly not just sports, but because sports is so American, it really reflects what some of the values are in America, and and we're just we're obsessed with with the public announcement of faith. We are not 
quite so obsessed with the values of faith. Um, if, if we were, um, you know, I would have been out of a job a long time ago. People have to be reminded that it's not just uh, talking the talk, it's walking the walk too. Um, but look, what, what business is there saying a prayer at the beginning or the end of a city council meeting? And um, why in the world, in addition to the national anthem, do we have to sing a song called God Bless America? Um, because uh, Americans like to wear their religion on their sleeves. And uh, I mean, you talk about people who come from other countries where, where very often uh, a particular religion is ingrained in the official culture of the country. If a, if a country has a Roman Catholic majority or a Muslim majority, it becomes integrated into the everyday. And so it doesn't surprise me to see somebody who came from, uh, from a, a Catholic country uh, uh, crossing themselves when they cross the plate or, or evangelical Christians who point when, you know, when they, uh, when they hit a home run, they point up and give all glory to God. Look, you see it at the Oscars, you see it at, uh, at political rallies, you see it everywhere you go. Americans just love them some praying, uh, whether they do it in, in language or they do it in, in uh, uh, some sort of motion. That it's a problem for Jews, I got to tell you, because first of all, we pray in Hebrew. No one would understand a word we said if uh, if we got up and said Shema Yisrael every time uh, somebody got a hit. And and secondly, the, the Jewish modality for prayer, particularly during a day game, would be to put on phylacteries, which are these straps we wrap around our arms and our head when we pray. Uh, and that would violate the uh, the uh, time clocks that have been instituted in the ballpark now. So we wouldn't be able to do that either. Continuing on that about comedy, entertainment, in, in, in the U.S., there's always been a big influence of Jewish comedians, Jewish comedic writers. Yep. And, it, and it's made me think, why is it that so much of American comedy is is very much Jewish comedy, but being a rabbi, why is it that there's God has no sense of humor in the Torah? Because I'm like, you have these great sweeping narratives and I'm like, this is a really serious dude. I'm always, I'm almost like when you read the Torah, when you read the old Testament, you're like, what was left on the cutting room floor? Because if I had to constantly live <laughs> under someone like this, I'm like, dude, can we take a day off? Can we be entertained? So, so first of all, the reason there's no humor in, in the Bible is because we read the Bible without a sense of humor. And when uh, the Torah says when, when Moses gets to the edge of the sea and the Egyptians are coming behind him and the sea is in front of him and the Israelites are panicking, Moses turns to God and says, what, what do we do? You brought us out here to die. And God responds, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> now, when you say it like that, it's funny. When you say it like, why art thou yelling at me? <laughs> it, it sounds a little humorless, all right? There's another scene in the desert when Moses has just had it with the Israelites and, and says to God, kill me now, all right? <laughs> just kill me now. And God says, really? And Moses, well, maybe not right now. So there is, there is a lot of, of stuff that tickles me when I read the Torah. That said, humor was not the, uh, the valued quality 
in biblical times than it is than it is today. Uh, in fact, humor wasn't even particularly valued in America when Jews began to look for ways to make a living uh, that were lucrative. And I think you'll find with any immigrant group, and it, it doesn't matter where they came from, they always arrive at the bottom of the, of the social hierarchy. And they have to look for places that they don't need anybody's permission to get in. So that's why they wind up being day laborers and, uh, and landscapers and railroad builders and stuff like that. Things that you can do without needing to belong to a guild or a union or, or uh, a fraternity of some kind. Well, that's what entertainment was at the beginning of, of the 20th century in the United States. And that's why Jews are in humor and in movies. And believe it or not, they were in uh, boxing and basketball. They were the original stars of boxing and basketball. Because what good Christian wanted their child to go into a disgusting uh, occupation like being an actor? That, that They were moral reprobates. And... And who plays games, playground games for a living? Nobody who is self-respecting. So Jews did it, right? And now it, you know, now it looks like they own the industry. But the fact is, it was the only place they could get in. And we're we're highly adaptable. I mean, Jews did all sorts of things through history. We were great soldiers at one time, and then you know, soldiers took it over, and so we had to do comedy. <laughs> I, I like that answer, sir. Going back to where when you were a young man, most of us when we're young, when we're young boys, we always dream about doing something. Obviously, we're here on a on a baseball podcast, so I'm sure sometime in both of our lives we thought we were going to be the next Hank Aaron, the next Ernie Davis, whatever. Where was that fork in the road for you when you when you were I'm sure you had thought you wanted to be a baseball star, but when did you decide to go to God and maybe not towards Casey Stangle or someone like that? Yeah, when I was uh, 10 years old and playing right field on my Little League team, uh, you always got put in right field if you were no good. And I was no good. So it, it didn't take me long to figure out that uh, I, I had to find some other way to make my way through life. Um, uh, I, I have to acknowledge that I was always afraid of getting hit by a pitch. And that's, that's not a good way to build a batting average. Um, if, if a ball was inside, um, I would step back to third base to make sure that nothing happened to me. So um, that and some philosophical things that occurred to me as I was growing up made me believe that I could, I could do better uh, turning a double bar mitzvah than a double play. Now, now that you, you're originally from Chicago, yeah. you went to Northwestern, it's been yep. established, you're, you're a rabbi, you're a smarty pants. I do you, but you don't li you no longer live in the Chicago area. Do you manage to catch the Cubs in, in person at any time during the, the normal th throughout these years? Yeah, I, I, I have almost always caught at least one and, and generally two or three of their games when they're in, in D.C. Um, uh, my son now lives in Philadelphia, so I try to get up there when the Cubs are playing. We go to the game together. He's a Nationals fan, but uh, it isn't because we didn't try it. When he was a baby, we put. Cubs wallpaper in his bedroom so that uh, it would stick. Um, and uh, I even I even went to see the Cubs play in Baltimore once. The traffic was terrible between DC and Baltimore. And when we got there, the heavens opened up. We arrived in the in like the fourth inning, got to our seats, and just as we got to our seats, we saw one pitch, and they called the game because of rain. But I still considered it to be a victory because I got to see the Cubs play in Baltimore. 
So I, I try to see them anytime I can. But I, you know, I was a for many years I was a season ticket holder uh, for the Nationals because uh, uh, I love the game almost as much as I love the Cubs. My suggestion to you, sir, is the next time you want to go out to Baltimore to see the Cubs or maybe even watch uh, the Baltimore Orioles go into the deep in the playoffs this year because they look very good. They're looking take good. The, take the Mark train because the Mark train leaves from Union Station and there's a Camden there's a Camden line yeah, that drops right you off the right there. Yeah, I'm I'm a big proponent of public transportation and it's fantastic. Yep. So something to think about. I want to ask you about the Philadelphia Phillies. That's a that's a stadium, the Citizens Citizens, Citizens Park. Bank Park. I heard it's it's beautiful. It looks very nice on TV. One of the reasons I haven't gone is because the rumor on the street is that the Phillies fans are absolute animals and they will beat you over the head with a baseball bat if you go with, with anything beyond the the, the red and, and blue thing. What was your experience like with as an opposing fan in Philadelphia? So first of all, you should go to that ballpark because I don't know whether they designed it this way or just it just happened that way. But the ballpark is open to the outside just above the first level all the way around. And the strength of the wind that blows through that tunnel, I am sure, carries more Phillies pop-ups into the outfield and more outfield balls into the stands than, than at any other park. They make that claim about Wrigley Field when the wind is blowing out. But in Philadelphia, it's always blowing out because of the way they built the stadium. So it's worth going. It's a nice ballpark. My son went to see the Nationals play the Phillies uh, a week, 10 days ago, uh, when uh, when they were no hit. And uh, he was all decked out in his Nationals gear. And as they were leaving the ballpark, uh, the Phillies fans were giving him a hard time and saying, so what, what do you think of that? And he said, look, if you're going to lose, you should lose with class. And that's what the Nationals did. And all these drunken Philly fans were high-fiving him and hugging him and offering to buy him a beer. So they're okay. You just have to learn to not say things like, that is the stupidest mascot I've ever seen in my life. The, the Philly fanatic, he is pretty funny. But, <laughs> but, if, but that's almost all that crazy win sounds like something that should, I would change. If we play our fantasy job, we're going to take you away from God, not in a bad way, but we're going to make you, we're going to add you additional title as the new commissioner of Major League Baseball with your yeah. new regaled powers. What's a few things that you would change the game as you would like to be? Well, look, I was very skeptical of this time clock stuff, but it's so much more pleasant to go to a game that that doesn't last from, uh, from Wednesday to Sunday. So uh, I'm okay with that. But there is no question in my mind that I would do away with the designated hitter immediately, forever, and seek a constitutional amendment to prohibit it from ever coming back. Um, the great thing about baseball players is that they have to be comprehensive athletes. And when you tell somebody he doesn't have to work on his, on his fielding, or he doesn't have to work on his pitching, or he doesn't have to work on his hitting, um, you lose the opportunity to have great people become Hall of Famers comprehensively rather than for throwing the most 102 degree pitches or something like that. So that would be my number one thing. And the, and the second thing would be, look, you know, we joked about it earlier and I, I said the owners collect the money all the time. Uh, I can't help but being a little bit of a lefty as a, as a, a rabbi and just as a Jew, I, I think the, the 
the players, not the stars, but the players themselves are not appropriately compensated, um, especially compared to the amount of money that flows through Major League Baseball. Uh, these guys have, have devoted their youth to building themselves into something that lasts, if they're lucky, for eight years, 10 years. Uh, we call people old men when they reach 40. I still had 30 years of work ahead of me when I hit 40. And not everybody is going to be able to be a broadcaster. And not everybody is going to be able to endorse underwear. Uh, people need to be able to secure their futures. And a lot of these these kids have to think about starting over when they're 40. So I would, I would bring the owners in and, um, and not let them out until they agree to some profit sharing with the people who really make the game. I, I agree with you that sometimes people are outraged that potentially Shohei Otani might be the first $400, $500 million player. Who knows how much Juan Soto is going to sign for. But at the same time, even the I think the league minimum for Major League Baseball is about six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, six hundred fifty thousand dollars, something like that. But yeah. when you look the at players the players don't get that. But you look at the crazy numbers that even if the 26th, 27th guy on the Cubs or the Braves making six hundred and let's say seventy thousand dollars a year for air quote normal person, that's a good amount of money. But you can't live off of that. Let's say you 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 mess up your knee, you're done. And right. If they're making that amount of money, what kind of money is the ownership making? And as you had very well said earlier about the form of the Wrigley's and the Ricketts. So, yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment that these guys need to be set up. And you have an agent and the agent gets a cut of that, too. And you have expenses that are attached to the game that the, that the club doesn't pay for. I mean, you know, you have to present yourself in a particular way because there's an image that you have to preserve. Um I, I don't have to buy a suit anymore because I'm completely retired. But, but these guys, if they follow, the, uh, they follow the, the way that their role models presented themselves, you talk about Chicago, that's Michael Jordan. You know, when you leave the locker room, you look like a professional man. And, and a suit, particularly for an athlete, uh, you have to have three, four, five of them. You know, that's a hunk of, of your take-home pay to buy a suit and and keep it pressed and clean and, and, and drive a car that uh, that makes you proud. They need better. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I also like, as you said, you've been to, for the Cubs, you've gone to see them in Philadelphia and D.C. and I'm sure many other places, including yeah. Chicago. I love traveling. What sometimes I do it for work. I have to do it just to even I, I sometimes just schedule a trip around a baseball game. When we go to these places, we always have to eat. I love hearing people's suggestions on local places that they enjoy having a drink, coffee, tea, or food. What are some places that you enjoy in the DC, in the Washington DC area? So it's almost a professional obligation that I have to mention the one kosher restaurant in uh, in the District of Columbia, and that's Char Bar on uh, on uh, L Street Northwest. Uh, you can get a very decent hamburger there. Um, but, uh, I also, uh, I love to eat at, uh, farmers and distillers, uh, which has a great vegetarian menu, which is what I'll eat in a restaurant. Is that the one in Chinatown or in Georgetown? It's the one on Massachusetts Avenue, just outside of Chinatown. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I also, uh, there's a place I, I'm a little reluctant to, to mention it. Um, it's called RPM. It's an Italian restaurant. But every time I'm in there, some uh, 
some member of the Trump administration is eating there. So uh, it's obvious the food is great. The clientele leaves a little bit to be desired. Rabbi Moline, I love RPM. Specific, I specifically almost, almost only order when I'm in town for that, the, the eggplant, eggplant Parmesan. It's amazing. It's, 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 it's amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. That and they have this dessert. It's like a chocolate thing that you can like break. What is it called? I forget what's it called up top. I don't of know it. what they're called, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. Everyone listening, if you go to see your team or the nationals in the Washington, DC area, go to RPM. Um, and if if you're, but I guess if you be prepared that you may be sitting next to Kellyanne Connolly. Or <laughs> as you know, th- there's a reason also that g- the good lord invented places like DoorDash, Uber Eats that maybe exactly. you don't have to eat there. <laughs> Right. In your hotel room, your Airbnb, or your home. Right. I like that. I like those suggestions. What is your prediction for the 2023 Cubs now that they're in the thick of the, surprisingly, in the thick of the playoff race? Where do you think you're, they're, you're, they're going to be in, uh, let's say, six weeks? I've always believed uh, with, with nothing but my own opinion that wherever the Cubs are on the 4th of July is where they're going to end up in, in at the end of the season. So I think they're going to wind up uh, in the middle of the uh, of the division, although if they continue playing the way they are now into September, which is a big if, they really could wind up in second place. If if they're going to win the division or get a wild card berth, wild card berth, it's going to be not because they're going to be playing better than they are right now because they're playing pretty well. It's going to be because Milwaukee uh, begins to fail, which I thought I was beginning to see. In fact. I was at the Nationals game when the Brewers were in town, uh, when the Cubs, speaking of the ball game isn't over till the last man is out. Not, not when the Cubs, when the Nationals won with a fluke play with two outs in the ninth, uh, bases loaded. There was, a, there was sort of a bloop hit in the infield that was thrown to, to, um, to get the player coming in at home. The pitcher dropped it, and the and the uh, runner from second slid in into the home in a contested play. They won the game in like twelve seconds when when they had not had more than a couple of hits the whole game. So so the Brewers have to fall apart like that if the Cubs are going to go anywhere other than smack in the middle. Well, we'll see we'll, yep. where they are October third or so. Rabbi Jack Moline, I want to thank you so much for joining. I've enjoyed this conversation on the Good Lord, on baseball and comedy. <laughs> If you want to, sh- if you want to let us know where we can read some of your work or anything else that you'd like to share, www.jackmoline.com. Anything you want to know that I've ever said is there. <laughs> Thanks to Rabbi Jack Moline for blessing us with his presence this week. Something else has been blessing me as well is what I was drinking as I was doing this podcast and recording it as well. The beer I have is a. Sheer, it's called Sheer Strength. It's a Belgian strong. I've never heard those two words together in a sentence except this time. It's from a good American local brewery called Focal Point Beer in Long Island City, New York. I've been going to Long Island City for probably a better part of 12 years. I always thought that Long Island City was going to be the next Williamsburg. And I'm glad it didn't become the next Williamsburg. Let Williamsburg be Williamsburg and Long Island City be its own self. But one awesome memory I always have of Long Island City is I was there with friends watching the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. It was the Miami Heat versus the 
Indiana Pacers. This was back when LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade were all on the team. And I hear this awesome music. And this is when I had Shazam on my phone. I put it up to the speaker. And, I, and that's how it came across one of my absolute favorite bands, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost with an exclamation point at the end of Ghost. It's not Holy Ghost, but it's Holy Ghost exclamation point. They're actually a band from Brooklyn. I love them. I've seen them live. I wish they would get back together to at least do some music. But nevertheless, before Holy Ghost gets back together to do some reunion tour, I'm going to continue and I'm going to finish off this sheer strength. And I remind you that you can always follow us on social media if you want. You can give us a rating and review if you want. But thanks for listening to Last Call Baseball. Be great and get home safe.